Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat on a Monday discussing the latest episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Today we're going to be talking about the first episode titled Chapter One, Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, this is directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by John Favreau. And I am your host, Jake Hart. I'm a podcaster, a sound designer and a writer on the Fresh Take Hub. And I'm joined today by David Oscar. I am editor over on Fresh Take, as well as a film journalist and overall nerd. And particularly Star Wars nerds. Yes. Uh, and we're back, Dave. Yes. The Mandalorians have returned. For good reason. <laughs> With reason. It is been, uh, I was going to say a year since the latest Star Wars show, but that is unfair on The Bad Batch. Mm. As we were pretty much reviewing them for about a quarter of the year with those 16 episodes. But it's good to be back again talking Star Wars. It's just a shame all three of us bucket heads couldn't make it on. Niall is uh, trapped on a stormy Camino, uh, unable to get home. It's not great when the Empire comes along and just, you know, shoots down your entire island and it just <laughs> sinks into the sea. And uh, all you've got for company is uh, an assassin who uh, <laughs> is quite salty about your decision to... Uh, to leave leave your organization but hopefully there's a there's a friendly robot there to help Nile out. To help out, yeah. Hopefully he'll get home safe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man, we're back talking Star Wars, the book of Boba Fett. We're going to be here for the next 7 weeks and you know, we got some other plans of what we're doing with this show going forward, some other cool Star Wars stuff. Uh, but before we get into the show and everything, Dave you know, apart from Bad Batch and Visions, you know, it's been pretty light on Star Wars, you could say, this year. Um, how are you feeling with, you know, going into Book of Boba Fett and 2022 with this basically onslaught of Star Wars content? Something I never, ever would have thought possible uh, when I was growing up watching Star Wars um, you know, as a kid. Um, but here we are. <laughs> Very true, yeah. I think... Um it does kind of feel very justified in the sense that you've had like just a big year for Marvel. So it kind of is almost as if Disney Plus was there to be like, hey, we're going to give you Star Wars shows and Marvel shows. And up until now, only having really had one big, big Star Wars show along with sort of two other smaller ones, I think now is the time in which they're like, okay, we're giving you all these projects that you've been really excited for. So I think that it just feels kind of, earned in a way uh that it you know all of this is finally coming together and yeah i, I don't think you know it's, it's refreshing to go into a time which again it's not like other television or other big franchises in which you're like mm, not sure about that you know i think the the nature of star wars is you're like yep i'm just ready to go along with the the adventure see where it takes me yeah same it's it's just such an exciting time to be a star wars fan and you know i'm gonna bring my 
allegory of a buffet back, <laughs> of course, because th- there is just so many different projects coming down. What with, you know, currently Book of Boba Fett, which is appeasing to a certain type of Star Wars fan. Then we got Kenobi coming out. We have Bad Batch for the animated fans. There's just so much on the buffet now that you don't have to. If, uh, well, obviously, if you're a huge Star Wars fan, you're going to watch all of it. But the general fans don't have to feel as, oh, you know, do I have to watch all of it to, for it to all connect like Marvel and stuff like that? No, you don't. You know, if you like your bounty hunters and stuff like that, you got Boba Fett. Or if you like your Jedi and PTSD, you've got Kenobi. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just think there's so much for, for fans to chew on uh, this coming year. And in a way, there's because it's Disney Plus shows, I feel as if there's a lot less pressure uh, than if they were big movies uh, like what we got with the sequels and we saw how that turned out. Um, so in a way, it just feels a lot less pressure in these shows. They don't have to hit a billion dollars at the box office and all of that. Um, so yeah, it, it's just refreshing as a Star Wars fan going into this year um, to, for it to not have so much pressure on it. Granted, <laughs> there's always going to be discourse on Star Wars. Uh, there already is, as we'll probably get into today with uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Um, but I just feel as if the it it won't be as uh, toxic, you could say, as what it was like when the sequels were coming out. Yeah. Also, I think to me, you know, it's probably evident if people have listened to us talking about Bad Batch and Mandalorian. It is a very different fan base, and I suppose you know, growing up with things like the prequels and stuff like that, and I think the Star Wars is a very different property in that, even though it will attract millions and billions of people who will get them that money at the box office i think that something like the mcu marvel dc it's very like ingrained in like general film fans so it's very hard to escape it sometimes when you're looking at those general conversations reactions to things everyone is all day with their hot takes and like i don't like this because of that you know star wars fans we've kind of been in the shadows for a lot longer and i think not to say that we've stayed in the shadows but i think that generally like major film fans um, or people who want to like voice, you know, especially as you were saying here, it's not interconnected universe. Nobody is there kind of saying like, I disagree with the way that this has happened. And the fact that, you know, there's a lot more niche elements to it. I think it's it's kind of like Star Trek in that sense that you've got lots of different shows. Some people enjoy the certain shows, other people enjoy other ones. And, you know, if you look again at Marvel, a lot less people were talking week on week about what if. And I think it was the same with The Bad Batch. And that's a whole nother conversation about yeah, animation. But, I, <laughs> but regardless, I think that I, I've always been able to separate myself a bit more from the fan base with Star Wars and enjoy it for what I like about it. You know, maybe I'm just not there. Join in m- many Star Wars groups and stuff like that, like maybe I have with like Marvel, uh, etc. Because I suppose you might join like comic book fan groups or that kind of stuff with because Star Wars is a film franchise and has always been a film franchise primarily and everything is spawned out to that, whereas like comic book stuff is just more ingrained into pop culture in lots of different ways and that's how you can see it pop up in other ways. And like I said, it's ingrained in more just general film fans. You see in like actual film critics and stuff like that who have maybe become film critics because they're comic book fans or historians and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, I think, easier to kind of like, as you say, go to your bit of the buffet table with Star Wars and enjoy your little corner and because there are so many voices and takes is again not like marvel in which it's just two sides of people like i like it i don't like it there's just so much of like you know like i love that i hated that i like it i think it's quite cool you know like 
there's just so many different takes that again there's no domineering force which makes you feel like oh no i feel guilty for not liking this or for liking it i think that's the great thing about star wars is that you can kind of just enjoy it without feeling like bad about it like you said unless it's something like a major blockbuster film that has come out in the cinema but television and I've said this on the podcast before. I think that's why Star Wars, to me, has always seemed perfect for television mm. uh, after uh, George Lucas wrapped up his sort of saga of films. And the more I see now, the more I keep agreeing with that. And it'll be interesting once we do get to some films now, or even at least once we get a glimpse of like a new trailer or a new project, concept art. I'm, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel actually about like whether Star Wars is well-suited to the cinema in some ways now uh but you know we'll see how that goes <laughs> uh no yeah it's definitely going to be an interesting time whenever we get either patty jenkins new film or taika's mm. new film whatever's film's coming out first or even a film we don't know is in development um because i think because the next couple of years are going to be dominated with star wars tv i still think there's an element of like star wars in the theater though do you know what I mean? Like, oh. And like you said, it is a film franchise primarily. Everything spawned us out of the films. And yeah, I'm with you. I think Star Wars at the minute is better suited to TV. In a way, one of its main inspirations was serialized television. Those Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon serials that George Lucas grew up with as, as, as a kid himself. Uh, so yeah, it does owe itself a lot to that style of storytelling. But there's just something about seeing star wars in the movies and it makes it more of an event i feel um unlike and no this is not no shade on the mcu because i love the mcu we, we have a podcast where we talk a lot about the mcu um but there is an element of like there's so many films and so many of them coming out so close to each other that they sort of lose the specialness of a big event film i i feel anyway and with the time with Star Wars, if you give it three, four, five years even before there's a Star Wars film, if you tell people there's a new Star Wars film and it's when we've been starved of it in the theater for five years or so, people are going to go out in flocks, I think. I, I still think there's something special about that, going to see a new Star Wars film in the cinema. Remember when Force... I mean, obviously, it's a, it was a different time, but... I don't think that hype before for the Force Awakens before yeah, the Empire. Before, yeah, before the Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Force Awakens first came out, I don't think you could match that hype. I mean, mm. maybe, but that was something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, like you said, with the MCU, it is you know you don't get that spectacle. And I think Disney would be wise to not do the same approach of Marvel. They can do it in the same sense of like there will be films and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. But I think they shouldn't be like four Star Wars films a year or anything like that, I no. would be happy with, you know, every two, three years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and to me, I think it's relevant bringing up the MCU and those comic book stuff because, as you said, we also have a comic book podcast. Um, but I think that will factor into some of the conversation we'll be having over the next few weeks because there are people who will react to these episodes and Star Wars in general based off, like, maybe how they react to then those properties and that might inform what we think of them because we're like oh this is giving me vibes of what we've experienced now in the last few months because a lot has changed since bad batch has come out we've had a lot more cinema releases a lot more like pop culture nerd kind of stuff so that might inform how we like react to this stuff um and just wrap up like you know what i think would work best in terms of the future is 
you know, I think that these TV shows are the best home for this kind of, like, telling the stories in between. Still have the new stuff like Mandalorian, etc. But I think, like you said, I think there is something special about Star Wars on the big screen. But what I really want, you know, and this is kind of what I wanted from the sequels and definitely afterwards, is I think it really needs to just be that, like, there's just no, no, this is like, these are the films, these are the TV shows. They're just completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, obviously, that's something that Marvel is not doing at all, and that's to their kind of benefit. But I think that's how Star Wars would also benefit, is just by not going, right, this film isn't, like, set between episode four and five, because you've already then just admitted that a television show could have, like, told that story just as well. I think for me, it has to be completely new, completely different, not even look like hardly the same. Stick to George's vision and the way that he wanted to do sequels in that way and just go completely loads, loads, loads in the past or loads, loads, loads in the future. If you do tell stories like within like certain time frames, maybe like that Pi Jenkins one, just make it so like personalized and different. Um, have kind of like a Rogue One effect to it, but just not kind of like in the sense of like, oh, in between, how did this happen? Story, mm-hmm. make it just, it's very much like, this is Black Hawk Down with Star Wars, you know, that element of Rogue One. Um, that's how I think the films would be best set for the future. And I think that's relevant to what we're talking here is has how the TV shows can, can benefit and be their own thing as well. Definitely. Well, well let's begin on, on the TV show then on Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett. <laughs> Uh, Boba Fett is back, guys. Obviously, he was back last year with his return in The Mandalorian Season 2. But I'm going to stop you again there, Dave, before we get into the show. Um, what are your relate? What is your relationship with Boba Fett? Why? What is your history with the character? Were you a Boba Fett guy growing up? Um, no, I wasn't much of a Boba Fett guy. Before. <laughs> no. uh, I currently wear a t-shirt and I've got a... Uh maquette thing of boba yeah. but again I, I i i've never been like one of those uh like oh i love boba he's my favorite character he's the best i want to see more from him i'm picking up every comic book that's ever existed of him because i guess i've just never been that kind of star wars fan i just enjoy everyone and he was just always somebody that stood out to me and represented star wars not that i was like i want to know more about that guy i was like i like that i don't know about that guy and he looks cool as hell and i want to see more cool characters with cool helmets and that kind of stuff which is why the Clone Wars give me, you know, a lot of what I wanted in the sense of like add into the lore, but still give, you know, keeping that element of mystery, giving you more like cool Ralph McQuarrie designs. So yeah, I think, I think everyone's always agreed. It's just that that element of mystery has always been the cool thing about him. Just that kind of like badass nature, just the element, you know, just how ruthless he was just from that brief moment of time he had. You know, he's no good to me, dead, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it just, you know, fitted very much with what the appeal of Star Wars was, the action figure element of it. You know, there's that famous kind of, like, Boba action figure they had back in the day with, like, a launchable the, with torpedo. The rocket and launcher. Stuff. And yeah. <laughs> kid choking on Oh, no. Put those yeah. out of production. <laughs> I was a Boba guy. Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was one of those people that... but Now, I wasn't one of those people that delved into all the EU stuff. Mm. Never really got into the expanded lore of Boba Fett. Uh, didn't read any of the books or the comics. I feel uh, like this is like an AA meeting. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I was a Boba-holic. <laughs> I, was, I was a Boba-holic. Uh, but no, I didn't get into the extended you know, lore stuff, the expanded universe. Uh, for me, it was just the movies. 
um, um, starting with Boba Fett and then going on to Jango Fett in the prequels because you know I sort of look at them together as part of my love for this character. Um, but for me, like he just embodied the element of cool in Star Wars. And for me, I grew up with uh, my granddad watching a lot of Western movies, a lot of John Wayne, uh, giving people a good talking to, and you know, uh, and Clint Eastwood being the badass that he is, you know, the lone gunslinger. Um, so, and seeing that sort of, you know, character in Star Wars, it was just very appealing for me. And that was why growing up, I always used to be more into the bounty hunters and the and the the smugglers and the the crime syndicates and all of that sort of stuff and also when you live in Gibraltar by surrounded by beaches you pretend you're on Tatooine as as a kid of course you do um and when we always me and my friends always used to reenact like the the sail barge scene on the beach and I was be like I'll be Boba Fett like you know but I would always survive that's the thing <laughs> I would always change the story because and that's another thing I loved about Boba Fett because he was a man of mystery, because he didn't say anything. Uh, and I'm going to quote David Lynch here. Um, he gave audiences and kids room to dream about what this character could be. What was his past? Well, you know, he's, he's like you said, Dave, what was the why has he got that dent? What does all these symbols mean? You know, and as a kid playing with these action figures, you you have this room to dream these stories in your head and to in a way see some of these dreams come true realized in a way because i do believe john favreau dave filoni and robert rodriguez were these kids in the 80s playing with these toys um dreaming about what the adventures of boba fett were i just think it's kind of wholesome that it's all come back now to that and, you know, I've been very supportive of the Mandalorian when they're saying, you know, we take a lot of inspiration from action figures. And I'm like, yes, these are my people. You know, they, they see Star Wars through a similar lens that I see Star Wars in the, the sense of adventure and the sense of just concocting your own stories. Do you know what I mean? With these characters. Uh, and, just and it goes the back element to what, of it looks cool. <laughs> and it just looks cool. Do you know what I mean? He's a complete badass, and uh, and some of the things that you'd wish you'd seen him do in like Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, we saw him do in Mando, and probably going to see him do in Book of Boba Fett as well. So, oh, we have already in my mind anyway. So, yeah, Boba's always been my guy, man, and it it is one of those things that Star Wars is so generational because you do get a big faction of Star Wars fans who are like, what's the big deal with Boba Fett? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't really do anything. He just sort of stands there and looks cool. But it is interesting, like, just watching Star Wars through a different lens or a different generation, you're like, yeah, but that's why we love him. <laughs> it's It's an interesting dynamic. I think actually the scene that kind of like reflects a lot of what I was talking about and what you were saying there as well about the mystery and the helmet and stuff is that like scene in Return of the Jedi, um, which is, you know, like my favorite Star Wars film when, you know, Leia is there as uh, Boosh, is it? And she has like the helmet and she like looks over and like Boba just there with like the gentle like nod. And like that just tells like a story all in itself. The fact that he's like, ah, oh, yes, like faceless, uh, you know, weird voiced uh, bounty hunter respect, you know. Respect. And so there's already like this kind of like understanding there. This history has been made. This kind of mm -hmm. like world has been opened. 
Um, but it's just two like people who you can't see their face. It's, you know, it's, it's quite yeah. fascinating. That, that, that that's sense. why, and, and this will probably lead on to the show that we're about to talk about. And that's why I love what they've now done with Boba Fett in this show. Because even though, like we said, it's character development, they're taking him in a new direction, they're still maintaining all the core elements of why we love Boba Fett. You know, um, going back to what he was like in the original trilogy, as you mentioned, there was definitely a sense of code, a sense of respect there. And then when we then learn about his past um, in the prequels, you could see Tamora Morrison playing Django. He carried himself with a lot of respect and honor. I think of that conversation uh, he had with Kenobi when they go into the apartment. Like they are basically having a go like they're fighting with words but there's a sense of like respect that he's like always oh, a pleasure to meet a jedi mm. i just love that line so uh, you would think that boba would take that from his father especially he's sort of honoring him in a way by wearing his armor and all of that so yeah it's just interesting to see the journey of boba fett from the original trilogy to the prequels to clone wars as well um and now this modern incarnation the return of boba fett Right, let's get into this then. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Dave, we've been anticipating this since the post credit scene of Mando Season 2, which, I don't know about you, caught me by surprise. I did not see that coming. Cheered like I could <laughs> not cheer any louder. Uh, this is like my show. I was like, yes! Uh, so we're finally here. We've been talking about it for a year. What are your overall thoughts now of the first chapter of The Book of Boba Fett? I think, you know, definitely, I think after I'd watched it, like, we have our group chat with uh, you and Niall, I put, like, a gif of, like, a chef's kiss, because I just, again, it's it's like Bad Batch, etc. I just feel so, like, satisfied as a fan that these are the things that we're envisioning and dreaming of for, like, years to come, and we get that. But again, you know, we've had this conversation with MCU of, you know, the checkbox mentality, but I don't believe that that is the case here. I know a lot of people do think that or they just feel that it's kind of just some like Boba prequel filler, you know, like definite, you know, <laughs> quotations they're used. Because to me, I think that like it's integrated so well into the story and I just love the vibe of this episode. From the moment it gets started, this very much was like speaking to me as a fan and a Star Wars fan because immediately I didn't even get like 20 seconds into the episode until I went like, oh, you know, and like was rewinding, you know, like from the get-go, if you want to draw me into a Boba Fett show, you show some scenes of, you know, Camino attack the clones, you know, like I was like, oh my God, you know, I was like, I did not expect this from the get-go. So I absolutely loved that. And I think that like Mandalorian, you know, that was able to kind of go, yeah, you know, the gunslinger, you know, the, the first scene of that series, he's walking there into a bar and, you know, he has like a, draw moment you know like a shoot off and all that kind of stuff and i think that that's where some people have misread this episode of this being like oh it's kind of just carrying on from mandalorian doing that same thing it's like no this is like a you know a survival story um and i think that's what leads to one of my like sort of flaws with the episode is that what i loved most about it was it was very much like dances with wolves or uh, like a you know survivor castaway kind of story is like how does this man who literally is like lost everything who's crawled out of a, of the belly of the beast rise back up again how does he come you know come away from that and literally in a savage land you know in a in a place in which 
a creature could just pop out of the sand and eat you at any time. It does feel very much like you know, Tatooine is alive in that way, in the sense of like we think back to A New Hope and there's a skeleton of the you know crate dragon in the background. That's always given the impression of like this is like a deadly you know wasteland, and I think that this episode does a really good job of that as well. So yeah, I just really felt that it was really effective in getting over that idea of like a kind of simple story of telling this man in the desert this man who's like you know dances with wolves like go into the sort of like natives um proving himself becoming like you know like having to use his wits being like taken away all of his uh armor and and weapons you know he's he's just there with his fists kind of thing i think that that element of it the very raw native nature to it is is what i loved most about this episode but at the same time it's kind of going like okay we're we're setting up the story for how this the rest of the series will go mm-hmm. um and again it's hard for me not to like kind of love and vibe with some of the nods they've got to star wars overall um and show in some great uh makeup work with like twi'leks and uh different sets etc which you know like throw back to kind of like new hope and phantom menace and all of that kind of stuff so you know i really did enjoy that i think you know the my major flaw with the episode is that i kind of wish that this maybe was just that entire story of boba um with the tuscans and everything like that i'm not sure if it maybe would have worked better that way but i can also understand that they were like okay we need to get people invested and show that this isn't just a kind of like how did he survive the sarlacc thing which to me, in my mind, isn't what that this entire opening is. Um, but if people do have those doubts, if they wanted to squash those, then jump in between the past and the present is a way to do that. But I think, unfortunately, by looking at some of the reactions that we have, people have just taken that reading of it anyway. <laughs> um, so personally, I think it would have been better to just focus completely on that kind of like man lost in the desert element um, and then ended the episode and be like, oh, I'm really excited now for next week in which we get to see Crime Lord Boba kind of thing. But mm-hmm. regardless, I still loved it. I think that it set up the, the tone for the rest of the series perfectly. Um, visually fantastic and set up a lot of the themes um, which we're going to see. So, I, I'm, yeah. And and also, I think the fact that this like had a lot of the trailer stuff in there makes it even more exciting the, of, of what we will mm. get later on as well. But it also has... Well, I should say it doesn't have a lot of what uh, the trailer has, which is really funny because I remember seeing earlier this week a lot of, I think it was Robert Rodriguez who came out and said, oh, all the footage you've seen is from like the first half of the first episode. Mm. And I was like, I don't believe that. That seems (laughs) way too much uh, footage going around for it to be in the first half of an episode. Um, So I wasn't going into, but I know a lot of people like, wait, what? Um, No, I, I love this first episode, Dave. Um, I really, really dug it. Um, my main criticism, I'd say, about the first episode as a whole is that I kind of wish we maybe got another one. Um, I feel as if maybe two episodes, maybe sort of like what Hawkeye did um, to get, because that as well, I felt as if, and One Division as well, they did that as well, where I feel as if maybe the first episode doesn't give me fully everything to get fully invested into a show. Um, I'm already fully invested into it because it's Boba Fett. I'm thinking more on a general audience type of way of thinking. Um, not as a Star Wars fan, me personally. I just think it could have maybe done with two episodes because I felt this one felt more like a prologue than a chapter one, you could say. Um, 
but that's that's nothing. That's not a ding on the show. That's just the way they've structured it. Um, but yeah, for me, everything about this is the mood of this episode and the tone of it. And I look at it as sort of like a tone poem, almost like chapter two of The Mandalorian, where there's uh, where he's fighting the mud horn and stuff like that. It's just visual storytelling at its finest, where it's limited use of dialogue, and the use of dialogue is very effective as well. Um, it's doing incredible world building, like stuff with Tatooine that we didn't know as fans existed, which is why, Dave, you know I'm always on that hill saying, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh. we, we've not seen enough of Tatooine because it's a it's a it's a planet <laughs> you know it's there's a lot to explore in a planet and i've always said it's not just these two towns granted we it is still moss esper but it's a completely different side of moss esper that we haven't seen before so for me as just a nerd living in the star wars world i'm having the time of my life exploring all these different areas of, of stuff of places we're familiar with but just new stuff and then spending more time with the tuscan raiders that was one of my favorite moments in uh, Mandalorian in both seasons. The the, the stuff with the, with the Tusken Raiders and to get spend more time with them and to see different variations of them in different outfits, giving them more history, more lore, further world building. It's just so so satisfying as a Star Wars fan who's so invested in this world. Um, and I love what what they're doing with the story. And it was about I was I wouldn't say I was one of those people that was like, oh this is like a a continuation of Mando. I more thought of it as like, it's part of the Mando, it's its own thing, but it's part of the Mando verse, like the Favreau verse, you could say, because <laughs> uh, it is written by Favreau and, you know, produced by Filoni as well. So and it's all got the same thinking caps on. Um, but it was about 10 minutes into this where I was like, oh no, this is very different to Mandalorian. And I love that they're actually going for something different they're going for a character study they're going for a lot more of a slower pace and being like we're going to take our time here telling the story uh, but don't worry everything will all connect at the end because a lot of people had similar complaints when mando first started they're like well where's the story going oh it's a bit filler it's like well most of the story threads all come together at the end we just got to engage with the story that's presented with us and let the story unfold um and i I think it's unfair as well for certain fans and outlets to be criticizing the show in itself on the first episode, which yeah. really doesn't give us a lot of story to go on. It's just more spending time with Tamura Morrison's character, seeing where he is now in this world, and, and it's setting up for what we're about to get in this story. So I do think it's unfair for certain outlets to be criticizing the show very harshly based on the first episode, like the whole show. I'm like, come on, just wait here. Uh, and the final note is, I do think Mandalorians are better without their helmets. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, get to the breakdown anyway and uh, break down everything cool that happens in this episode, which is the action and uh, the story stuff uh, with some of the character stuff thrown in there as well. So uh, the episode opens with a landscape shot of the surroundings of Boba's new palace acquired from the late Jabba the Hutt and Bib Fortuna, or as we know him, Bib Fatuna, <laughs> uh, over on Tatooine. Uh, several interior shots are captured, including the Barbican, Jabba's throne room, and the empty band stage. In a separate chamber, Boba Fett is submerged inside a Bacta tank. 
Uh, he experiences flashbacks of Kamino, followed by a grieving Boba cradling the helmet of his fallen father, Jango Fett, on Geonosis. In another flashback, Fett struggles with the digestive system of the Sarlacc. Turning on an inbuilt sensor inside his helmet, he sees the remains of a stormtrooper. Fett retrieves an oxygen unit from the stormtrooper's armor before punching a hole through the star Sarlacc's gut and fires a flamethrower. A weakened Fett climbs out of the pit and lies on the desert ground, just as <laughs> Patton Oswalt predicted all that time ago in his uh, filibuster. The gauntlet of Boba Fett launches out. I love that if anyone has seen Patton Oswalt's uh, filibuster on um, Parks and Rec. He's also been talking about it on uh, Twitter. So late last night, Fett is discovered by a party of Jawas who strip the armor and jetpack from his body. Fett awakes, but one of the Jawas knocks him unconscious with a blaster. The following day, a group of Tuscan raiders stumble upon the unconscious Boba. Seeing the burnt and weakened Fett, they bind his hands with a rope and ride back to their clan with Fett bound behind a banther. So, Jake, what did you think, as we said, you know, I mentioned earlier about the fact that already at the beginning of this episode now we're, we're getting flashes of the prequels and we're getting a sand crawler and we're seeing the remains of, you know, Jabba's sail barge. You know, we're, we're getting thrown a lot of Star Wars here, so it's it's a lot of uh, Star Wars goodness. Uh, so so what was your, your reaction to all of this kind of stuff from the get-go? Well, first of all, I just love how much love Attack of the Clones is getting lately. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the year <laughs> of Attack of the Clones, isn't it? No, it's actually 2022. It's <laughs> celebrating its 20th anniversary day. Very true, yeah. So this is just leading up to Bad Batch Season 2 and this show, which will celebrate it even more. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, I'm just loving all these little just, you know, references and honoring Attack of the Clones because it's so funny that that is probably the most criticized Star Wars film, we could say. Yeah. Um, it's normally at the bottom of most people's list, but I love that Filoni and co are like, no, this is part of the story. It's important. It matters. Uh, and with these opening shots of Camino and Geonosis, I felt like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme just going, oh, pointing yeah. at the screen. Uh, loving all of that sort of stuff. And I just love how the episode opens. Um, like I said, it's all about mood. Uh, from the get-go, it's setting the tone of this. It's this dark, slow, PTSD-driven story, I think. Uh, and as we mentioned, they got all the stuff you wanted to see out the way first. The stuff that fans have been waiting for for nearly 40 years, since 1983. Him climbing out of the Sarlacc pit, and for me, I didn't need something badass or heroic or anything like that. Because, in a way, he went out like a chump. I feel as if his return out of it, not that he came out of it like a chump, but it's, this is a guy who, yeah, I survived, but it was a struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was something I had to, you know, I was, I was losing breath. I had to get this thing off the stormtrooper to breathe. I had to cut through that, you know, I had to climb through the sand. And it almost killed me to the point where I couldn't even fend off a couple of Jawas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just love that they didn't, you know, it's very easy to make it a very badass, heroic moment, you could say. But I love the approach they took with it. It's a guy who's struggling and for me just sets the, the tone of the episode and probably the series. Yeah, and I think it's worth like mentioning like the PTSD element in the sense of like again, would you watch a war film and if somebody was there cowering, shaking behind as like an army comes around, if you're there in World War Two, World War One, if somebody like you said is like 
dredged through the dirt and stuff like that, you know, and they've had to like go through hell to get something. To me, that's like even more admirable that they haven't just like rocketed out there like I'm a badass, you know, and stuff like that. And in some ways, you know, like Robot Chicken did that. So, uh, you know, you, where he goes and uh, kills a bunch of Ewoks in uh, in their sketch mm. show. So, yeah, I think that to me, this was more interesting. It kind of gave me the like the look of the classic Beaufort, like, oh my God, yeah, we got the, you know, the classic suit and everything like that. So it was fun to see from that sense because it was like, you know, a flashback to the childhood in that way. Um, and I'm happy just to have that. Now we've got this sort of updated suit. Yeah, I think that it does, you know, like you said, uh, there's that like comic book, I think, or something like that, which has got like the shot. I think it's like a tentacle is coming up and like Boba's there, like, you know, blasting his way out. But like you said, it would never make sense to me that that would happen because why would they like blow up an entire sail barge, fly away, and then Boba would like fly out like a badass because it's like, why would he just not do that straight away? I think that it makes sense that he would have to struggle because as you know, 3PO, etc. says, you know, like you digest in this for like a thousand years, etc. So it would make sense that you would struggle to get out of that thing. And I think the fact that he does get out of it is the, the badass element of it. Yeah. I would never want him to just fly straight out of it like some, you know, because it would just take away from it. Same as Maul. Again, he was down in that chasm for however long, you know. And it's also, um, it's the attention to detail as well with the because 3PO saying, oh, you will be digested, you know, inside the Sarlacc. And, and you always sort of wonder, well, how does Boba survive? Do you know what mm. I mean? And I, it was always with Maul. How did Maul survive? Well, he clung on to hate. Yeah. Okay, I can buy that. He's a Force-sensitive guy. But you're like, how does a normal dude survive that? And it's adding on to what they've established in Mandalorian with how good Beskar is. Because, mm. you know, seeing the Stormtrooper armor melting away with the, the stomach acid... And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, Beskar wouldn't melt away, so he would have some form of protection. <laughs> yeah. I think the one thing that was a bit jarring at first, because you know that in that scene there aren't stormtroopers, so you'd be like, whoa, what's going on here? Because you kind of imagine, like, all the people down with him are, like, you know, the other warriors from the sail barge and stuff. So it was a bit like, you know, because you can imagine stormtroopers there, because obviously they're, like, running around trying to find Luke and everything. But at first you were just like, oh, wait, hang on. W were they there? And you're like, well, I guess one might have fallen in there at one point. Maybe yeah. some guy went on a real tangent when they were trying to find Luke or uh, the, the Lars family and Princess Leia and was just like, whoa. <laughs> Jabba has dealt with the Empire before. So yeah. it's, you know, and also like 3PO said, it's over a thousand years you get mm. digested. So that could have happened ages ago. And he's just yeah. there. <laughs> um. What I also want to pick up is, like I said, because I think that this might be leading something. Some people on the internet think that it might be leading to, you know, really important stuff. I don't know about that. That's proper tinfoil hat theory stuff. But I was really excited to get the young Boba stuff because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, shit, we're seeing, like, unused footage or something. Yeah. And I was like, wow, different angles and stuff of, like, these films we've watched, like, a thousand times. But then after, I was like, oh, wow, that was actually shot for the show because there's a boy who's credited as young boba oh. and the uh i can't remember his name at the moment but the guy who played actually played young boba daniel logan daniel logan that's it so the fact that daniel logan was also credited and this other kid i was just like and then i when i watched it again i was like okay yeah i can see where the sand looks a bit different maybe that's where um they've sort of like reshot it etc but kudos to them that the first time i was just like i thought that that was an Same. alternate take of the shot um because it did look exactly the same second watch i was like okay yeah now it's been pointed out i can see how maybe this is slightly different but in some ways that made me respect even more that they would go to the effort just to shoot just two two shots essentially 
which again yeah. makes me think like how important is this you know like having that element of like what is this character's history what has he been through because it is really messed up when you think about it about watching your father get beheaded in that way especially because i recently watched attack of the clones and i always thought the mace was very brutal in the way he did it you know he looks up at boba very much like yeah don't mess with me and i was just like okay he, you know this he, is... he could have just disarmed him yeah he could have just disarmed him and you know when you think even back to clone wars you know like we were talking earlier about like how boba is figuring out his part in the galaxy and all that kind of stuff and i think like that wasn't an element i was a big fan of in clone wars is the idea of like revenge you know like i think for me, and this is why I'll bring up this theory that I saw, I think some people were saying about like, maybe Mace Windu will show up and that's what oh. this is building up to and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but I'm never a fan of, and I'm not even a fan of this, to be honest, even with Maul slightly. I'm more interested in the other Maul stuff, but I'm never a big fan of the kind of like, I'm after revenge for this one person for wronging me. For me, revenge is a lot more interesting where it's like revenge of the Sith or something. It's, you know, like the Jedi have wronged us. They've suppressed us and like we've not been around for a thousand years. Or it's revenge as in like you killed my daughter to make a point or you killed my family because you wanted to show what a big person you were. To me, it never quite made sense. The more like, I want revenge for you beating me in a fight that I initiated anyway. I was like, well, you just lost Maul. I'm sorry. You know what did what did you expect Obi Wan to do? You know, just be like, that's good, what makes good show, him fellow. So good tragic. show. <laughs> that's what makes him so tragic. Yeah. <laughs> he he is a whiny child <laughs> in that sense. But um, so where's you know? So when Boba was like, oh yeah, of course, Boba wants revenge on Mace Windu, and I think the one reason I can excuse it in the Clone Wars is again is that element of like Aura Singh was pushing him towards that and being like, this is what you want to do. So that's why I would hope that this isn't the case because I'm like, no, that wasn't like Boba's wish. And what does it achieve anyway? This whole idea of like, I must get revenge. That's why I think, again, it was better with Maul to like, when, you know, spoilers for Clone Wars if you don't want to hear this, but then when he kills uh, Satine because it's like, that is something that like, yeah, I'm going to make you suffer for like making me suffer. That's quite an effective way of doing it. Not just this, like, I need to kill you because you killed my dad because you were forced to kill my dad. And it just gets messy in that sense. So continuing after the Tuscans found him, Vet is uh, bound to a wooden post and guarded by Tuscan sentries. Several adolescent Tuscans beat him with uh, gaffy sticks, knocking him unconscious again. That night, Fett awakens at his post. Seated nearby is a captive Rodian with red skin. Fett struggles with his ropes, which draws the attention of the Massif. Massif lunges at Fett, and he knocks out the beast and uses its sharp teeth to cut his bond. Fett asks the Rodian, Rodian, do you want me to cut, you cut your bonds? Your bonds. <laughs> a Tuscan sentry intervenes, but Fett overpowers him, knocking the Gaddafi stick from his hands. The Rodian cries, alerting the rest of the Tuscan clan. Fett flees into the desert with the Massif in hot pursuit. The creature catches up with him and he fights it with his stolen Gaddafi stick. One of the Tuscans approaches him with a Gaddafi stick. Gaddafi stick. After sizing each other, the two break into a duel. The Tuscan knocks Fett to the ground, but Fett rises to his feet and fights back. The Tuscan knocks him down a second time, but Fett is still determined to continue the fight. The Tuscan beats him repeatedly. The other Tuscans surrounding him with one kicking him to the ground. Fett slips into un unconsciousness. 
So yeah, lots of stuff here, like we were talking about before, that like survival mentality, that idea of like being captured by the enemy, you know, there in stranger in a strange land. This very much does stick to that idea. Uh, and again, like you said, you know, we're seeing a lot more of the Tuscans. So what did you think of this idea of like, you know, him being beaten down, him in these fights and seeing this different Tuscan clan? I love it, man. I just love it because first of all, it's really good to see that not all Tuscans are dressed all in the same beige like mm -hmm. outfit. Do you know what I mean? It was just so refreshing and cool to see like this clan of Tuscans that if you see them, you're like, yep, that's a Tuscan Raider. But at the same time, you're like, oh, look at their cool, like, red and black outfits and the different jewelry. And, like, you could easily distinguish, like, these are the kids and this is the leader and that's, like, the warrior and stuff like that. They're not all, like, the same looking. Um, I just love the world building going on, the more adding the lore and stuff like that. It's just so, oh, I love it. And it's just following on what they did with the Mandalorian with, you know, the sign language and how they communicate um, and then the it also sets up the little water thing that they have that they drink, you know, mm. to as like that's a sign of respect that you're now one of them. And yeah, I, I love this element. It remind, reminded me of you know Survivor sort of films and um, Castaway and just you know and e in a way it reminded me a lot of like Lawrence of Arabia as well and even mm. Dune of like adapting to like the nomad lifestyle, learning about their culture and eventually becoming one of them um i loved everything it, it all set up and like as this was going on and then we go into the present day then we go back to the tuscans and i by the end of it i was like oh i'm so glad we're not resolved with this because i think it would have been also very easy to resolve the tuscan element in just this opening episode i'm so glad we're they took their time to build to the moment of him being accepted into the clan you know what I mean? Um, and then that we are going to see more time with him. Uh, and it just makes sense because he's eventually going to be one of them. As we saw him in the Mandalorian with the Tuscan outfit, he had his own gaffy stick and the, the rifle and stuff like that. So he clearly, you know, becomes part of them. And somehow mm. I, I just, I hope it's like throughout the whole series in a way, like it's not this thing that you wrap up quickly. I don't know. I, I, re I really love what they're doing here with this. Um, and also, man, I've never wanted a Rodian to die more than that one. <laughs> <laughs> Hate that Rodian <laughs> so much. Like, uh, and yeah, and as you said, like to even though he doesn't say much, Tamura Morrison's performance as his character is great. Just the delivery of the lines. Do you want me to cut your bonds? <laughs> mm, yeah, so, so good. Uh, there's an element of like, like he is just playing Tamura Morrison, but that is who sort of Boba Fett is in a way. <laughs> yeah. And that, and then again, I suppose that uh, even though obviously, you know, controversial, but there's the whole element of like him voicing over Boba and stuff in the special editions. Yes. But I think that there still is a kind of like differentiation between like because obviously you still never see his face in those films. I think you can still separate that version of Boba to this one if you so wish, you know. And I think, and that is important because he is a different man in some ways now. I think that that is also reflective of the story that happens at the beginning of this, is that he goes into that Sarlacc one man and he comes out another kind of thing. So, you know, I think that, you know, even if somebody's a, a massive fan of, you know, Jeremy Bullock, etc., which who wouldn't, you know, he helped bring the character to life. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see it very much as, you know, he then comes out as Tamara <laughs> Morrison, whichever way you want to sort of see it. Um, but we've seen that a lot in film and television before, in which, like, you know, you need this actor to play this version of the character because this is the more sort of, like, 
savage version mm. of him and that's what Tamura Morrison wanted when in Disney Gallery he wanted that to bring that tribal element to to the role because you know he's from New Zealand etc so he wanted the gaffy stick and everything like that so it's also bizarre that people are then just forgetting all of that and being like why is he not like Boba straight away it's like well he was also this weird like tribal warrior guy when we first saw him in Mando so you know it's interesting to see how he he gets to that level and how he might take that into the whole respect thing which he's talking about in these scenes uh with the criminals etc that that might come from you know the tuscans and this clan this idea of respect uh so i think that the themes and the storylines are really nicely singing up syncing up here that idea of like stranger in a strange land he's in you know an unknown territory he's fighting for his life in the tuscan camp but he's also very much doing that in Mos Espa and in Jabba's palace, you know, he is a stranger in a strange land there too. I think too many people kind of see it as like, oh yeah, of course, Bo Fett is like, you know, completely at home there. It's like, no, you know, he's that's quite a promotion, quite a level up from what he was before. You know, it wasn't like he was Jabba's right hand man. Like he uh, was a hitman. He's yeah, just a hit. <laughs> he was in uh, Bib Fortuna, you know, <laughs> who clearly held that whole held supreme over that planet for <laughs> quite fine. <laughs> good, a good five years there. <laughs> exactly. So, um. Yeah, I think that 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 what is impressive here is the telling that kind of like, you know, who is he? What has he been for the past, you know, several years, which is is impressive. Um, and again, and yeah. Dave, visual storytelling at its finest going on. Because mm. obviously the Tuscans can't speak. Uh, not basic anyway. <laughs> yeah, I also love like the, the little kid one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I will say as well, um, in regards to the cinematography and like the, the use of the volume, mm. um, obviously it's still relatively new technology. Some of it looks fantastic. Other times I'm like, okay, they're shooting in the volume. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you can sort of tell at times. Uh, but other times you're like, wow, look at this. Look where technology has come. Well, what I didn't expect as well watching this, like you said, when I saw the different clan of them, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is refreshing to see because they look, like you said, so badass. And it is interesting when you look at Tuscans because they're, like, to me, I love seeing them and exploring them because they're so Ralph McQuarrie. I think Mm. that that's what sort of bugs me with certain other projects and Star Wars elements that we've talked before. It's like, oh, it's so Ralph McQuarrie. It's like, well, you know, to me, a a simplistic design does not mean Ralph McQuarrie. Something like the Tuscans, you know, when you see that painting that he has of the Tuscans, that is, you know, very much like how he came to develop these interesting masks and these interesting looks. Something that looks nothing like anything else in pop culture. Um, And I think that in that way, Tuscans do represent a lot of Star Wars. They very much envision Tatooine, again, as this like deadly sort of place. And I think it was very interesting to see these different Tuscans because... You know, we f- we forget that, you know, Mando did change the way we saw them and stuff in, in many ways. But at the end of the day, they were, or, you know, they are brutal. You know, the fact that, like, you know, again, rewatching Attack of the Clones, I was like, it's still quite psychotic that they just kidnapped a woman, <laughs> tied her up and just left her to starve and die. You know, it's a really, like, crazy thing to do. And... You know, you see it similar here. They're like, yep, just tie him up. And, you know, it's... it's They're like animals, Dave. Exactly. That's (laughs) what I mean. And what I didn't expect from this show was to be like, you know what? Actually, it's crazy that now I'm becoming a big fan of Tuscan Raiders because maybe those films did make out that, you know, they they were animals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll get back to the Tuscans in a bit. But um, 
We'll carry on with the story then. So uh, it's now present day where Boba Fett is woken up by Fennec Shan from his nightmare. Um, the Bacta tank doors open and he climbs out of it. And Shan reminds him that they are expecting guests who are lined out to pay their respects. And then uh, some droids in a very epic fashion dress Fett in his Mandalorian armor. And then we get that epic shot of him putting the helmet on himself. He's like, <laughs> love it. We then cut to Jabba's throne room where there's an Aqualish delegate speak speaking and presents a box of credits. Uh, the droid, this is actually some controversy going on online <laughs> with the fans. Um, so initially, a lot of Star Wars fans naturally went, oh, it's 8D8 from Return of the Jedi, the torture droid. Um, but it's not been confirmed. that Apparently, it might actually be a different droid. <laughs> so um, you, look, you can find that on Twitter, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it's vo- the droid is voiced by Matt Berry. <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny. So it retrieves the chips from the Aqualish, and then when Fett asks what the Aqualish, Aqualish said, Shan explains that he said something about friendship, and then Fett says, we really need to get a protocol droid. <laughs> uh, so the droid then presents Doc Strassi, uh, the leader of the Trandoshan family and protectors of Mos Espa's city center and its business territories. <laughs> I love all this stuff. Like this, mm. the droid's just hamming it all up like uh so doc addresses fett as the new daimo and fett says that it is a pleasure to be welcomed to mos Espa by doc who presents ad8 with a i think it's like a wookie skin rug yeah because <laughs> uh, there is a, a history of rivalry between the trandoshans and the wookies so Doc wishes that Fett may never leave Moss Esper before walking away. And then Fett says to Shand, why does the Trandoshan compliment always sound like a threat? <laughs> uh, and then we get into the next guest, which is Mok Shai's, the mayor of Moss Esper and its surrounding plateaus. And then the, the, the Twi'lek walks in and, and corrects and says, I'm not the mayor. I am the mayor's major domo. The Major Domo apologizes for the understandable misunderstanding in the mayor's correspondence. And Fett extends his greetings and appreciation for the mayor's tribute. The Major Domo clarifies that this was another understandable misunderstanding <laughs> and says that the only tribute that he bears is the mayor's heartfelt welcome, which he expresses in his stead. I just love this uh, interaction here. Uh, and then Shand, Shand warns the Major Do- Domo that if he had shown the same insolence to the late Jabba, it would have fed him to his menagerie. And Fett tells the Major Domo to tell the mayor that he is here now. And the Major Domo replies that he knows and raises the matter of tribute. Shand explains to Fett that the mayor wants Fett to pay him. <laughs> and I love, uh, again, Fett's uh, reply to this where he says, What? I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. <laughs> he hasn't got a clue, honestly. Uh, Shan then says, shall I kill him? And Fett's like, no, no, no. He's, he's, he works for the mayor. Let's not start off on the wrong foot. And then Sha- eventually, Shan f- eventually tells Major Domo that Lord Fett allows him to leave unmolested. And the Major Domo apologizes and says that he will convey Fett's sentiment to the mayor. And he warns Fett and Shan that they may, they will receive another delegation in the future. And then finally, the droid brings in two Gamorrean prisoners who say were served on the Jama, Jabba and then transferred their allegiance to the late Biv Fortuna. And the droid says they were captured alive as a tribute to Fett and says that their tortured squeals will send a message to the potential challengers to his throne. 
and Fett says he is he does not do torture. The droid counsels his master to show strength in order to win acceptance as a Daimo, complementing their loyalty to previous bosses. Fett offers to spare the lives of the Gamorians if they were to serve him. The Gamorians bend the knee and submit to Fett, and Shan warns him that this is a bad idea. She should have said, I have a bad feeling she had about it. a bad it. feeling about <laughs> it. Yes. So let, let's stop there before we uh, take a trip to Moss Esper. So, Dave, what did you think of the present day bit of this episode of <laughs> Boba Fett's first day on the job mm. as Crime Lord? And. I don't know about you, but he doesn't seem to really know what he's doing, does he? I'm not sure if I'd go as far like he doesn't know what he's doing, but I think, yeah, there's I definitely... I think he's a, a bit he- out of his depth. Yeah, like, it's it, well, it's kind of thought it would be more easy than it is, which I think is also refreshing, that you shouldn't just be able to go in like, bang, you're dead, I'm now Crime Lord. It's like, how has this never happened before kind of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, what's great here is that even as you see at the start of the episode is just... This kind of real attention to detail to feeling like you're in Jabba's palace. I think there's so many times within like Clone Wars um, or the projects that you're just like, eh, that just seems like a sort of mock, you know, version of it. It doesn't, you know, feel like the palace. Whereas this, I was just like, those opening shots were just like beautiful in some ways. You were just like, wow, that is the palace. Like you felt like you were there. Also, you get the expansion of seeing like the different rooms and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, in a way, you know, I don't know if that is controversial, but, uh, you know, I saw that droid and thought, oh, you know, it looks like the torture droid. But I would kind of be freaked out if that was him, because why would some droid who's there torturing a gong droid then be the guy who's introducing everybody? You'd be like, you know, to Boba's go around like, you could do this job now. It's just like, to me... <laughs> no, more, he, no more torture. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like the torture droid, and I didn't think he'd be as suave as uh, Matt Berry, <laughs> who voices him, which is uh, quite interesting. And on IMDb, they do list him as UK2B. So That's the one, U- UK2B. That's so, the debate going on in Twitter. So, sorry, I'm on the uh, UK2B side of uh, this debate. Uh, I'm happy with him being some different droid. Maybe well, who, we'll see. Who do you believe, Dave? Wikipedia or IMDb? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go with uh, the one that's potentially linked to the industry. <laughs> Make it that way you will. But, yeah, I, I would say 88... I would personally prefer if that wasn't 88. Um, I would prefer if we maybe get later on, he's down there torturing some other droids. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Niles' uh, favorite uh, pervert droid. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking that once he came up, I was like, oh God, it's Niles' uh, pervert droid. He must be scared right now. Yeah. So I think, again, this kind of seemed like very much like what we've seen in Bad Batch and like Clone Wars. It was kind of nice to see that integration of the different like cultures. And, you know, it, it's kind of like with uh, the the pikes and stuff like that like oh presenting this person you know so it was nice to see that acknowledgement which i don't think mando has even really given us is that obviously they've had mandalorians but we've not really had the kind of like here's the different clans the different crime lords which i hope this series does give us because it would be a shame for them to just be like oh here's a bunch of people who were for 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 jabba the hut because i want to see the pikes i really want to see the pikes exactly we know the pikes we know like you know black sun i i would love to see that kind of stuff so i think that that you know, was interesting. I did like the joke of just like, what did he say? And I think, you know, we're starting to then get the chemistry between Fett and Shan, which I think is good as well. Shall I kill him? (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I think it was a really good performance from uh, David Pasquesi um, as the major domo, just that idea, like the constant open hands, like, oh, sorry that, you know, I'm not here to do this. And the idea of just like, I'm only here to tell you we will not be given any money. It's like, 
well, um, I do not accept this gift, but tell him in response that I will see him. And, you know, it was just very much a kind of like It's very, awkward... it's very um, politics, isn't it? It's yeah, like... but none of it was kind of resolved. It was all kind of like <laughs> pokes at each other. Just like, I am not here to give you money. I respectfully say that, you know, it's like respectfully saying, we, you know, we're telling you we're boss around here. And then he's like, well, I'm telling you that I don't res- appreciate what you're doing, but I'm not going to kill you. And, you know, so... They both leave on, like, equal terms, but could have equally (laughs) sort of finished each other off, which I thought was quite refreshing. But, yeah, it was a cool design, and I think that, you know, he did a good way of sort of giving us a different uh, look at that sort of portrayal of, you know, a a Twi'lek and that kind of stuff as well. Sorry, Sorry, Dave, I'm going to have to say that I actually wasn't the biggest fan of his look um, Mm. as as a Twi'lek. There was something about his leku and the makeup. I was like, it looks... Out, out of all the Twi'leks we saw in this episode, he was my least favorite looks wise. I was like, ah, it's not quite there for me. Yeah, I can see that. I think for me, I just, well, I think obviously it'd be cool if we brought back like another sort of Bib Fortuna, the kind of like real the eyes and the teeth kind of one. Um, but to me, this at least seemed more kind of in line. Like, I don't know, like, like I obviously wasn't a big fan of the one. Uh, in the Mando episode on the prison ship and stuff like that. So for me, <laughs> but especially her brother. So I thought that this was a step up in terms of male Twi'leks, uh, which we've seen in the live action stuff. Because again, I wasn't so sure of the green male one, which we get later. I appreciated the representation of a uh, kind of like, oh, all Twi'leks are these like scantily dressed women. <laughs> like I've, I've appreciated later on. They were like, oh, they also have like male Twi'leks, which are like, some form of dodgy slaves in that sense. Uh, but on the flip side of that, then we have this guy who's more of a kind of like ambassador looking kind of like potential what you would have maybe had in the times of the Senate and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I just thought his performance helped it a lot. I think ultimately the Leku and stuff is hard to do and it's hard to not kind of see the imperfections with those. Again, I don't know if it's a TV budget, but it does seem like they've always struggled to do it ever since, like the prequels for some reason. I don't know why, because I felt the prequels did it really well. But who knows? Maybe it's just because they haven't got like bright, bright blue ones like <laughs> like George Lucas was willing to do. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we had some fun stuff here. I was glad that we had that acknowledgement of like the Trandoshans saying like Trandoshan family, families, that kind of stuff. Um, so as I said, we're starting to get a bit more understanding of, of the world here, which I appreciated and that we have like the kind of look at like Jabba's palace feeling the way in Jabba's palace yeah <clears throat> again I just love the mood it was setting now initially when um was it David um how do you pronounce his surname Pasquesi Pasquesi yeah uh, initially I didn't like him he took me out I was mm. just a bit like oh what's going on here this this feels like he's acting in a different show at times so uh let's continue then so um Fett uh, and Shand travel with their two new Gamorrean bodyguards to Mos Espa, uh, which uh, amazing the first opening shot we get. Like, as far as I was aware, Mos Espa was that little town that Anakin grew up in, yeah. the little shanties and stuff like that. Classic. But, They're like, oh, you didn't realize there was a crater behind that. Which a, crater, has <laughs> a whole city. Yeah. <laughs> which is fantastic. This, as, as I said up top, I just love that. We're in such a familiar planet, the first planet we have ever been to in Star Wars, and yet 40-plus years later, we're still discovering new things about this planet and new places. And I just love that, you know what? Not everywhere on Tatooine has to be a dump. 
Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, there's some class here. There's some privilege in Tatooine. Uh, so that's really interesting here. Further, you know, building the world. And that's sh the shot as well of that ship coming. It's cool. Did you see also that this was a uh, concept art from Phantom Menace that Doug Chang did for Mos Espa when they first did it? So the big I tower thing. That was actually what he initially designed for Mos Espa. So that's even more cool that they're like, yeah, that was always kind of canon or whatever if you want to. So Doug Chang's, you know, original image has been managed to be brought to this. And he, he kind of had a bit more in a way when you look at some of the early ones, like kind of like hers. And, but the, the, the idea of just having this big central tower was always there and the idea of having it like in a crater. So it's nice that they were able to bring that back in some ways. Love it. Well, this is it now because we're getting to a point where we're starting to exhaust all of uh, Ralph McQuarrie's old designs. Mm. Like we've seen a lot of them now, uh, unused designs pop up in the prequels, animated shows and all of that. Uh, we're now moving into the phase of like all of Doug Chang's mm. uh, unused concept art for the prequels uh, being used elsewhere, which is it's good to see. And I, it was good to see his name in the credits as well as he's heavily involved with these shows. Still there at Lucasfilm. Yeah, I look forward to the moment in which uh, they have to use the grievous concept art of a small child <laughs> on a hover <laughs> chair <laughs> with two guards is the, the, the secret villain of a TV show. That's the secret villain book of Boba Fett. Grievous <laughs> has returned. <laughs> right, so, um, so yeah, as they're walking into the town, uh, Fennec uh, chides Fett for not letting them carry him on a litter, and Fett says that he doesn't want to be carried around like a useless noble. And Shand explains that it is a sign of power and that people in Mos Espa are used to seeing the huts being paraded around the streets. Uh, at a cantina, Max Rebo lives! Dun, 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 dun. He's playing a variation of uh, the tune we heard in the cantina. Uh, Dave, were you as happy as I was to see that Max Rebo had survived? I was just thinking of our fellow Monday Lorian, to be honest. I was like, Niall is out there right now, grinning ear to ear. <laughs> the Max Rebo has appeared. Um, so I was happy to see him, but I just know that there was a lot of other Star Wars fans that were even more happy. But... Uh, yeah, you know, I've said in the past that I, I like Jedi Rocks. I think that that special edition <laughs> edition is not too bad. So I'm happy to see him and that he survived because apparently he was on the sail barge. So that was another <laughs> another miraculous escape, he from, escaped. Uh, from that destruction. I think it's apparently to... Bib Fortuna took uh, Max Rebo with him when they were yeah, jumping he must, he must, Oh, he's like, but I can't leave the best musician in the planet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's I, good I to think... see him jamming along with friggin' Dan as well. Like, yeah uh, exactly <laughs> so i think that uh it's always a joy to hear that song but i just love to hear the variation on it i just thought it was a, just a classic way of doing it is just having that kind of like a spanic kind of like tone to it i was like so, oh it's very chill i like this yeah it's great it's another and one of those leo moments again pointing at the screen yeah and, be, and being very happy so uh as um, Boba and Fennec enter the cantina, an astromech droid asks them if they're here for drinks, and Fennec replies that they are here for business with Madame Garza Fwip. Uh, <laughs> classic Star Wars name that you're like, uh, okay, let's go with it. <laughs> uh, Madame Garza Fwip tw turns out to be a female Twi'lek uh, played by, so I had a name there, Je uh, Jennifer Beals. Uh, who she looks fantastic in the character as well. Uh, she welcomes them to the sanctuary and asks if they would like any of their sun-dry offerings. And Fett says, maybe another time. And get, let's get down to business. It won't take long. 
let's just do it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he introduces master assassin Fennec Shand and explains that he has replaced Biv Fortuna. Garza apologizes that she did not see his litter, prompting Fett to say that he prefers to walk on his own two feet. And Fett explains that he's here to introduce himself and reassures her that her business will continue under his watchful eye. Garza thanks him for traveling to the sanctuary and says that he is always welcome, granting Fett ownership. The Twi'lek attendants return with the helmets, with Shand remarking that Fett's helmet looks shinier than hers because it's full of credits. So before we get into the big action se- uh, set piece, Dave, what did you think of this whole interaction of them walking into the cantina? And then we have, you know, the, the um, Garza Thwip, Madame Garza Thwip, who seems to be some sort of person of importance who runs this joint. Um, I especially liked as uh, Bobo was looking around, he was like, business is good. <laughs> uh, so he, he's sort of going, oh, I can earn a few credits here. This is a... This is going to go quite well. But I thought it was more of that having jabs at each other again. It mm. was, I think, Madame Garza Fwip was, again, poking the bear, trying to see how far she can push him. It's this fake politeness, I think, uh, especially with the line. I was like, I'm in charge. Like, oh, I, d- I didn't see your litter anywhere. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, he's like, oh, I prefer to walk. I think that's intentional. I think she's trying to poke him a bit there. But what, did, what do you think of this whole little scene here? Yeah, again, with Star Wars, it's just a great way of, like, expanding the universe and just, like, knowing more about how these places operate. Because it was always a bit weird to envision, like, you know, the fact that, they, you know, that, that space is controlled by the huts and all this kind of stuff. Like, how can, how, like, gangsters just control this entire corner of the galaxy? Um, You know, especially to the point of, like, there's a different currency and stuff there. But when you kind of see this kind of stuff, you're like, okay, I can understand it a bit more now because it's this kind of, like relationship and like this is the the way it all works rather than just like there's this guy in a palace and he just says yes or no it's just the way their entire society operates which is quite interesting and it almost gave me kind of game of thrones vibes that kind of medieval idea of just like you know this is the you know the particular house (laughs) we'll call it you know which uh many men of leisure might attend uh so it, it seemed almost like that vibes when you get in game of thrones and stuff like that the idea of like characters like Littlefinger or the king go in there knowing that somewhere like that is kind of crucial just say it for what a, it is dave it's yeah a brothel. It's a, it's, <laughs> what's that it's it's a it's a massage parlor yes yeah <laughs> uh the watering hole uh so yeah i think <laughs> i think that uh that was quite interesting to see that element there, especially giving him, like, you know, the big bucket of coins. Well, his helmet full of coins. Uh, and interesting that they were also New Republic uh, credits as well. So, like, we've had in the past, like, you know, like... Republic uh, credits? Yeah. <laughs> I need something more real. It's like, well, apparently <laughs> this is now real. Uh, and, yeah, I think just that image of, like, Jabba being, like, carried around like that. I was just, like... just thinking about it, I was like oh like oh that sounds disgusting <laughs> like this like litter thing i'm glad the boba feels that he just wants to like walk on his feet uh we then get into the big action uh scene so this is after the little conversation we just talked about with fennec and boba where they're ambushed by six crimson clad figures armed with plasma pikes and energy shields who all surround them uh fight breaks out with fett and shan barely holding their own before the Gamorians come into their aid, it's really good to see Gamorians actually guarding somebody <laughs> <laughs> um, rather than wrestling or being choked by Luke. Um, mm. <laughs> so uh, they break the circle created by the ambushers and providing the respite for 
Boba and Fennec that they needed to regain their balance and upper hand. Together, they dispatched three of the attackers, leading the other three to attempt to escape. <laughs> and this is the moment where Boba fires a rocket on one of them, disintegrating him and partially blowing up the rooftop. The other two who are climbed the rooftops ahead of the compatriot are taste by Fennec. As she reaches the top, Boba tells her to capture them alive before telling the Gamorians to get him back to the Bactopod. Fennec then chases the two survivors across the rooftops, all performing feats of acrobatics and athleticism. She finally reaches them, but is forced to dive off a rooftop to escape a counterattack, allowing the two to continue their escape. As they round a corner, they come face to face with Fennec, who has gained the lead. She disarms them both before knocking one off the rooftop to his depth and captures the other. <laughs> so we're going to stop there, Dave. What did you think of this big action set piece? Yeah, I thought it was quite cool. I thought it was like refreshingly different as well to get this like idea with the shields. It's not just a shootout. It's something very different. We've seen plenty of corridor fights and that kind of stuff. So the idea that they were kind of trying to battle their way out of there, I thought was quite cool. As you said, you saw Gamorians. You know, I did kind of see that coming. I was like, oh, when are they going to like run in and save the day? But it does give you a lot of fun stuff with, you know, Fett and, and Fennec in terms of like that action. In some ways, you know, they are like hindered slightly so you're not getting like full uh you know fat on display which i'm sure that we will get at some point and yeah i am interested about you know even though i think this is like linked to the mayor and stuff like that the fact that they are like crimson clad i'm like ooh, you know like what what other sort of like villains have been linked with crimson and you know so a, cer a certain uh crime syndicate with that uh name in yeah. there so i'm interested about that um, I think the like this was probably my major flaw with the episode. The only bit I didn't like was just the kind of like messiness of just like get me back to the Bacter because it was almost as if he was like get me back to the flashback, you know. It literally and like I think it's just the <laughs> fact that they just immediately cut back to like just them dragging him conveniently in there. It just almost it did just look like you know like get me back to the flashback, you, you know. It just seemed like that. <laughs> so I wasn't a big fan of that. That's where the episode sort of lost me a bit, in which I was like, oh that really took me out of it in some ways it might have been better if it was just he was knocked out on the sand and then he flashed back or something like that but um or just they you know they all managed to get away and then he you know i don't know it was just something about it just seemed very plot convenience you know which was I, uh, yeah I, I totally see where you're coming from i just saw it a bit differently i saw it as like boba's anxiety mm. of like oh, yeah, yeah. i've failed here like, yeah, we've technically won this battle, but really it's a failure. I've lost in front of everybody. I think it's his anxiety, not only his health, his physical health, but his anxiety, like, I need to get back out of here, like, uh, stat. Like, yeah. because, like, people are looking at me. I failed in front of everybody. This ain't showing anybody anything. Yeah, no, I think narratively it makes sense. I think it's just the way it's handled and, like, uh, you know, fair, like, the execution and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, the, for me, the fight... It, it's a decent fight. I just loved what it was telling about Boba Fett. The fact that he's really, really struggling. He can't really quite hold his own. He's not the bounty hunter he once was. He's still getting back in the swing of things. And I love that following on from Mandalorian because all three of us on this show, we did have certain complaints that sometimes it can be a bit anticlimactic with Mando doing uh, fight scenes because of his Beskar armor. He's sort of, you know, b bulletproof, like nothing mm. will really affect him. We've made that criticism before, so it's nice to see Boba, even though he's got Beskar armor, he's struggling, he's not what he once was. 
Uh, and then I have seen some comments, I'm sorry, but I do have to bring it up, that they're saying, well, how come he was kicking ass in Mandalorian and taking out all those stormtroopers, but here he's a bit... I'm like, well, you have to look at the situation they were in. <laughs> well, the uh, title of the episode, Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Like, first of all, in The Mandalorian, he was hyped on adrenaline. He had time to prepare. Do you know what I mean? He was in the zone at the time. Uh, you can't stop that guy. He's just got his armor back. He's ready to mean serious business. And also, they're stormtroopers. You know, mm. let's not let's not kid ourselves that these beep stormtroopers are some great warriors. <laughs> In this situation, he's caught completely off guard. He's got his helmet off, filled up with coins and stuff like that. He's just strolling through there. He's like, oh, I tend to rule with respect. He doesn't see this coming. He doesn't know what's going on. So, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, but... I, Sometimes I feel that the people are just not paying attention to what's in front of them. <laughs> and even though, uh, yeah, and, and again, it's, you know, the, the character thing, maybe he is shaken by these nightmares and all of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's why maybe some of the flashback stuff is important in this episode. Um, and that idea of maybe just being back on Tatooine, maybe it's taking him back to that place of being with the Tuscans. Now he's like, oh, I'm like, I'm a different person again. So I think that that, that is a big element. And, and thinking about the attack as well, I'd be interested, actually, we're talking about Garza Fwip. If we are talking about, like, who is the big bad of this, and I think some people might have issue with the fact that, like, oh, well, Boba's meant to be a villain. Like, he's now a hero. What the hell? Well, yeah. you know, it, at the end of the I day... I don't see it that way, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's the problem you're always going to get if a villain is leading a TV show. But I think they managed to balance it fine with Mandalorian, and, you know, I'm fine with it here. But at the end of the day whoever is your lead character has to have somebody they're against. You know, it doesn't, you can't have the villain of like a show just be like, I am the villain and everyone's going to die. You know, like there needs to be some kind of confrontation. And I think it would be interesting if it was Garza Fwip because it would be really refreshing if it wasn't like a sort of like male human character, that it was somebody who has power um, in a different way. And it's like a female villain almost, which we've never really had like in a major way in Star Wars, so that would be quite cool if she was the one who sent uh, those assassins. Don't, 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 Asajj Ventress, come on now. Oh no, I mean like show, in show live, a, show a, a live action, a live All action, right. I mean yeah. mainly. Um, but not like they are the main, you know, like again, like the main villain of the show. Like Following the assassination, attempt Fett is put into the Bacter tank by one of the Gamorreans, where he experiences another flashback into his past. Following his unsuccessful escaped attempt, Fett is woken up by a young Tuscan and led away by his bound hands with his feet chained to the captive Rodian who follows. Together with a domesticated massif, they trek across the desert and make a slight detour after seeing smoke. They peer over a sand dune to see a homestead with several beings beating a man, painting a symbol on the walls of their homestead before getting on speeder bikes and riding off. Moving on, the trio come to a stop with the Tuscan gestures for the two captives to dig, searching for a gourd filled with liquid, a source of water. The Rodian finds one before Fett, who takes a drink. Fett soon finds one for himself before he can drink. The Tuscan <laughs> child takes the gourd from Fett, pouring it out for the massive to drink, with some spilling onto the dry sands of Tatooine. I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Easy there, little one. <laughs> Continuing to dig for the gourds, Fett tells the Rodian that they could have both escaped had he kept his snout closed. <laughs> Fett grumbles about strangling uh, the Rodian and feeding him to the watchdog. 
The Rodian can strangle you with these chains. <laughs> the Rodian returns an insult in Rodian, which Fett can understand. Uh, while cov- uh, continuing their dig, the Rodian discovers a large, scaly mass under the sands. Uh, excavating the mass, it stirs to life to re- reveal a large, three-clawed hand grabbing the Rodian's arm. More arms come out of the sand before the entire beast reveals itself as a six-legged reptile capable of standing on its hind legs. So, yeah, a bit of a tussle and action that's going to happen here with a lot of creature stuff. Before we get into that fight, Jake, what what, what did you think about then going back to this Tuscan stuff, the, the stuff with the Rodian seeing, you know, Fett, as we said, you know, shamed again, you know, like being chained up and having to do the bidding of a, a child, etc. Um, this was one of my favorite parts of the episode because it was just like, he's just having such a bad day. Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> he's just, it's just, I'm a, just a guy having a really bad day. And it was also one of the funniest uh, parts of the episode for me as well. And it's all coming from comedy through character, as I, as I like to call it, because it's just, they're not making jokes. He's just naturally funny in his deliverance and, and the the performance he's giving. Like I said, like when he's like, I could just, you know, kill you with these chains right now <laughs> and then mm-hmm. and then there's also when he's like digging for the gourd and he's looking at the massive and he's like no, no hard feelings there mate mm, yeah <laughs> i just love tomorrow morrison in this role what he's doing with this um so yeah and it's just more of the I, i'm really curious about what that um that little homestead we saw is with those like bandits and like and the the symbols they were doing um, I don't think that's there by accident. I think that's obviously going to play into the season a bit later on. But I'm really fascinated with where that's going to go. I feel as if maybe these bandits caused the Tuscans a bit of trouble. And uh, maybe the, the young ones saying, like, these dudes are, are, are bad news. Like, watch out for these guys sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see where that goes and what part of faction they are or, or crime syndicate because they got that little that like double L logo or something like that, like a reverse L and one going the other way. So yeah, I'm really interested to see where that's going to go. Yeah. Cause I think there is like, I don't know if it's in a book or comic or something, but there is some kind of like biker gang is it? And I don't know if it's in Tatooine or like just Star Wars in general, but there's like, I don't know what they're called, like the storm riders or something like that. Uh, um, that's, um, there's solo, the, which has the, that's in so yeah, solo yeah. with emphasis. Ness. Um, but I don't know if there's Cla- like cloud riders, there cloud riders. Yeah. I don't know if there's something similar to that of like a biker gang essentially. So possibly it might be them, but, um, yeah, I very much got the vibes of like, okay, this is something leading up to later. We've seen in the trailer, there's like that sort of female character who's on like a speeder bike. So potentially setting up the stuff we've had, we've seen there. Um, it was hard not to get the, like, you know, uh, Lars, you know, like vibes of seeing like a smoking, you know, like house, and almost I was like, oh, okay. oh, I was like, wait, no, fan mind, I were in a different part of the, you know, the timeline here. I was like, oh god, like he's not looking at like that scenario, is he? I was like, wait, no, this is not at all in that timeline. But this is obviously the placement of them being on Tatooine, seeing that it was hard not to like instantly think of that. Um, those poor farmers, they they must not have a good time. But I suppose farmers never have a good time in film or media in general, especially when no. it's set in space. We have uh, a humble farmer's day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that that will be leading up to something. I think 
we are very much seeing the kind of like and again it's why it's said earlier like the idea of like him coming out as a different man from this sarlacc is that you know i i can't imagine him in a helmet being there like you know like no bad feelings mate and all this kind of stuff i think that he's becoming the kind of like crazed you know like mirage seeing you know people that we see you know in in those kind of media where like they're out in the desert they're dehydrated they're kind of becoming crazy you know in a way so i think that that is you know and that would link in yeah as you said earlier that he's like he was on a high earlier that's why he was so badass when he was in the mandalorian whereas at this stage now he is you know very much like starved and a different person and kind of like desperate and i think that you know it is kind of interesting to see him in that situation you know to be like chained up by this like you know tuscan child etc because again it's you know like for a character to rise you need to see them at their at their lowest and i think that Mm. that uh you know is definitely the case you know the case here um unfortunate you know that rhodians do always tend to be like cowards and stuff like that as well uh, we don't have many so Again, good that, representations that of them. Bloody Rodian! <laughs> <laughs> Again, I love when he like replied in Rodian, and he said, "Oh, you understand that, didn't you?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll go now. As I said, to the sort of like action which we get here at the end. Uh, so uh, the creature comes out of the sand. Uh, the entire beast reveals itself as a six-legged reptile capable of standing on its hind legs. Grabbing the captives, the creature starts attacking with the massive counteracting, uh, counterattacking before being thrown away by the creature, which then kills the Rodian. Fett is held up and the Tuscan stabs the creature's foot, resulting in the creature throwing Fett and hitting the Tuscan, causing him to hurtle onto the sands. The creature turns from Fett and goes after the Tuscan, adolescent. However, Fett runs up the creature's back and wraps the chains around its neck and chokes the creature. Fett's actions earns him the respect of the adolescent Tuscan. The Tuscan, Fett, and the Massif return to the Tuscan camp with the creature's head as a trophy. The return sparks a celebration among the Tuscan clan with the adolescent Tuscan regard, uh, regaling his people with uh, the story of the battle with the reptilian creature. The leader of the camp wordlessly hands Fett a gourd out of gratitude, which he drinks. And then it goes into that. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So, yeah, a lot of people saying that they could see it as like that Ray Harryhausen kind of ode that it was, but they didn't think it was a very good version of that. Uh, They thought it just kind of looked like a CGI mess and was just completely random. Uh, I disagree. When it first came out, I was just surprised it wasn't a crate dragon, but I was glad it wasn't because, you know, you just don't want to have the same thing over and over again as if these sands are only filled with one creature. And again, they talk about how rare that is in the past. So how likely are you to come across that? And yeah, it did kind of look like a bit generic. But I, you know, at the same time, I'm happy to see different creatures within Star Wars. And, you know, I don't want it to just clearly be like, oh, this is a da-da-da-da-da, you know. Like if it's just some mysterious creature, then that adds to the mystery of Tatooine. And I think that it was like quite a good sort of like tribute to, to Harryhausen. It did look like those kind of Clash of the Titans type creatures and i thought that it was done quite effectively so uh and i think there was a, an admirable foe to have at this stage of the episode i don't think you could have had anything like larger it would have been a bit unbelievable especially considering like a child is involved in this fight so i did see it very much add into that element of like the lost in the desert element the kind of like the warrior 
um, you know, like only they with his chains add into that kind of like old school Flash Gordon we were saying about before as well. I think it was very kind of like Flash Gordon going back to those serialized dramas that George Lucas was inspired from. So I think that like the beginning of the episode and the end here were the two strong points for me because it was very much like the survivor, the castaway, uh, you know, dances with wolves element, and then this element here at the end was the kind of like you know serialized drama, adventure, mythology kind of stuff. And going back to the tribe, it was a great way to finish it off and round it off uh, by having you know like the tribe all like gathering around and again that glimpse into that kind of like culture and that celebration of like you know the Tuscan is like potentially because I think it's said maybe in in the law and stuff that like killing crate dragons was like a, a rite of passage and stuff for things like tuscan raiders so like potentially killing this creature has done that now for this like child um but yeah i did really love that like kind of as you said earlier jake that kind of uh wordless imagery that we get that you know that the chief just holding strong giving him the water that is the symbol of like respect and like you know you are potentially like now a part of this clan or like we respect that you've like protected him etc um and I just loved also the Tuscans were like gathering around and somebody like held it as if he was like, take a picture of me with like the head or something like that. He was just like, I loved the way they were like holding love- it onto it as if it was like a lion's head or something. I loved how the, the the young one was coming in, holding it up like, yeah, look yeah. at this, look at this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really strong end of the episode for, for me personally. And we'll get onto that theme. Uh, yeah, I'm fully in agreement with you there, Dave. I, I'm I'm glad I haven't seen those criticisms because I would disagree with them as well. I mm-hmm. think uh, it was fine with what it was. I, I again, like when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, a new alien in Star Wars." I, mm. I just like seeing new, weird, creepy, scary beasts. You know what I mean? And sure, some of it was uh, a, maybe a bit too much CGI for my taste, but there's a there's a certain amount of shots in here that you can tell they actually made an animatronic head uh, for it. At least the head they definitely made. Because there's certain shots, especially when Boba's like strangling it, when they're doing those close-ups where you can see that's not CGI, that's like a robot or, or with like prosthetics on and stuff like that. So again, I'm glad they're making the effort and it's balancing the old and the new, which is practical meets digital uh, with Star Wars. Um, and yeah, just the ending is perfect. Visual storytelling just hands him the the gourd and he drinks it so good so so good and just just leaves me wanting more that maybe that's why i was at the top i was like i need another episode because i was like i want more now because <laughs> i want to see how the story unfolds um but yeah i thought it was a great end to the episode and, and as we keep on singing along that theme at the end with the um, with the with the end credits so good so good i, I will say um uh, the music was done, like the the score was done by Joseph Shirley, who did an absolute fantastic job. Um, but obviously, the, the the man Ludwig Göransson comes back with the pure bangers, as he did do the main theme for this. Uh, so good, so good. Yeah, I just cannot say enough good things about Ludwig Göransson. I've said in the past, I think Mandalorian is like one of the greatest like TV themes out there. And then this comes along and, you know, like is amazing also, you know, it's hard to say that this would like top that already, but what an absolute bang, what a way to like end the episode perfectly. I Seeing that kind of imagery, as we said, and those visuals, that was just the perfect end for me. And I'm glad that they didn't use it at the beginning or anything like that. It just perfectly captured the tone and the spirit they were going for in this kind of like barbaric tale, this kind of like, you know, 
survivor story and then to have that come in and i was like this is such perfect vibes for boba as well you know that i don't know this just works on so many elements i love that theme so much as soon as it ended i was like i need to listen to that like right now it's just there's such power to it they're like oh duh, 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 duh. and like there's so many elements to it. it goes to like the you know like where it like dips it goes to the kind of like big drum beats there's like huge drums in it but then when it goes like hum, da, 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 dum, da, da, you know so it's it's almost as if you're like hearing the different vibes and tones of boba you get in the the boba that you see in empire and stuff the kind of like sinister like da, da, da. and then when you get into the more like tribal-y stuff which you see when he came back into to mando when he was like using the gaffy stick and what i think we'll get with him later I just wanted to say I'm glad that even though they've got this new theme, they're also keeping the theme that they made for Mimando with the oh, yeah. you know, that sort of like flute instrument, whatever's yeah. making that sound. It's just so cool. Uh, and I'm glad for like the more dramatic, serious moments like the, the superhero landings and stuff like mm. that. You can still do that sort of like impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that's why I'm glad that I think that we have got somebody like... Um, like Ludwig doing just the theme because I think that it is great that you've got Joseph Shirley, which I think can give it its own tone throughout it because I think if you did have Ludwig doing everything, it would be a bit too Mando-esque. He would be mm-hmm. bringing in because obviously he used like elements of like sort of like sort of techno kind of hip hop drum and beat stuff like music that, yeah. and stuff, whereas you don't want that in here. And I think that like Joseph Shirley is going to be able to bring that kind of like more like native sound to this show. Um, but Goranson just perfectly does like an amazing theme, I think. Uh, would you say that wraps up your final thoughts of the episode, Jake? Is there anything else you want to add uh, for what you thought overall? Um, I love Star Wars, Dave, <laughs> like so much. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I I'm love s- democracy. <laughs> I love democracy. I'm just so glad Star Wars is back in full swing. Um, it's just giving me everything I want from a Star Wars fan. I want from a Boba Fett show. Um, and also giving me a few surprises as well. Giving me things I didn't know I wanted. Um, very excited to see what the rest of the show comes. I have very little complaints about this first episode, on a, in all honesty. I think it's really well done. The writing by John Favreau is great. Direction by Robert Rodriguez is really good. Bring it, bring more on. Bring it more on. I'm excited to see what the other directors do because we know John Favreau is directing one. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is directing one as well. Very intrigued to see her episode. Uh, so yeah, very excited for this show. And yeah, to that I would say, is there an echo in here? <laughs> hello <laughs> no yeah because i just yeah echo all of your thoughts there um it's star wars it's given us the stuff we love it's given us the silly like max rebo editions it's given us like cool stuff that fills in those gaps but it's working towards the story and it's fun little nods and it's nothing like too out there or too like on the nose so uh and i thought as i said there was a great sort of like you know tale to tell of this like one man and i can't wait to see how it expands and and changes i think that this will be a series that will be very different from its first episode to its final episode and i think that that's that's really cool um be interesting to see if we like leave tatooine and what sort of characters we get but for this one like i said i thought it was a really strong opening episode i frankly didn't need anything like too massive world changing you know the fact that we haven't even had like a space battle we haven't seen slave one you know we can enjoy this stuff gradually and you know i'm, I'm more than happy to to go about it in that way so yeah very happy and and i can't wait to see what we get next week so uh that was our thoughts on the first episode of the book of boba fett chapter one stranger in a strange land 
you can now catch us like we have with previous series every Monday talking about these episodes. So do please subscribe to us uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Uh, you can subscribe on there, follow us. And if you're on Apple, please do leave us a rating and a review as it helps us go up in the rankings. Also, tell your friends about this show. This is the one you want to be listening to if you are a Star Wars fan. We go into all the nitty-gritty stuff, talking about fan theories and also uh, making bizarre references like loving democracy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, do check us out. Please, like I said, share, subscribe, uh, and, uh, yeah, tell your friends all about it. Uh, you can catch us uh, on socials now. Uh, we have our own individual socials for the Monday Lorians, so you can catch us on Twitter at monday lorians so not mandalorians monday lorians even though we often will call the mandalorian <laughs> monday lorian because we <laughs> yes. do this podcast uh myself you can catch me on twitter at david osger o-s-g-a-r and you can also catch me on letterbox at the same place as well as on freshtakehub.com uh, where should be some exciting stuff coming onto the website video and article wise in the new year jake where can uh, everyone find yourself uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Sweaty Jake, just uh, nerding about on there, retweeting and posting stupid stuff. And then you can catch all my uh, film watchings and ratings on Letterboxd uh, <clears throat> at Jake Hart. Uh, and you can also catch me and Dave and our friend Tom Gappa on the other podcast we do called Capes, Cows and Masks, which you can find us on all major podcast platforms where we talk all about superheroes, Marvel, DC, all that good stuff. Uh, and you can catch our latest two episodes are reviews of Spider-Man No Way Home and Hawkeye. So check those out if you're a fan of those latest shows and movies. So, yeah, that's me. And also go check out our fellow Monday Lorian, Niall. Uh, he's on Twitter at Niall the Glynn. Hopefully yeah. we will get him back next week. Hopefully he survived his um, his trip to uh Batu or wherever he's gone. The Camino. Uh, he's in Camino with the storm. storm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this breakdown of the first episode. Please do join us on the next one. And uh, until then, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.